Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. I'm your host when once... A week, we sit for an hour. I'm sitting anyway. You might be jogging. I don't know. But we discuss what happened this week with local journalists who can explain, who can contextualize. Maybe they'll debate a little bit. We'll talk about express toll lane charges a little bit later in the show. They charge you money so you can drive faster. So what's the right price for speed? That and more ahead. Let's welcome our panel, Seattle Channel host and producer, Brian Callanan. Welcome back. Great to be here, Bill. Good to see you. Public Cola co-founder and publisher, Erica Barnett. Hi, Erica. Hey, Bill. Thanks for coming. Seattle Times investigations editor, Jonathan Martin. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. Let's get at it. Um, our first topic today, maybe Seattle will reduce its homelessness, serve its people better, reduce shootings, guide more people to drug treatment. A new drug law took effect this week. But all those policies require money, and the city budget has a negative sign on it. Budget hearings are just beginning this week. How is the city going to spend less or charge taxpayers more. Brian, you want to begin? Uh, There's a few different ways to look at this. The budget hole you're talking about is projected for next year and the year beyond. So this is sort of that in-betweener budget where the council is getting us to that next biennium. But they are looking at something that's very serious. The Times has reported this, Public Cola has too, about $247 million in terms of a budget hole that they're looking at next year, and then basically that same amount the following year. So this is something that's systemic. It's within the budget, and there's a lot of discussions going on right now about how to shore that up. Certainly, they've been talking a lot about the jumpstart tax. That's the tax on big businesses there, a payroll tax. They're talking about potentially increasing that. They're talking about looking at other ways of raising taxes, maybe a tax on CEOs, a tax on capital gains. There's some issues there. They've also been talking about doing some cuts, but I think the big issue that I have seen, and I've heard this from a lot of different candidates who are running too, they've been talking about a lot of cuts. I just don't think there is a magic wand of $250 million. And and there's going to be a lot of discussion about how to streamline the budget and make sure that every dollar screams, as uh, Mayor Harrell has sometimes put it. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's going to be difficult to, to shore up that amount. And I, I, I don't think that's, uh, I, yeah, I think that's basically the bottom line I'm seeing. Yeah, this was supposed to be, um, as Brian said, you know, sort of a, a biennial, uh, the second half of a biennial budget, not a lot of changes. Um, but uh, Mayor Harrell's budget actually um, contained a lot of uh, pretty significant changes, including a lot of new spending um, that actually widens that budget gap from, I think it was uh, projected to be around $212 million. I mean, the numbers change all the time with right. revenue forecasts, but it's a lot. And um, the mayor's budget added $51 million in new expenditures, of which uh, more than half are ongoing. So they have to make up that money somehow. Um, and so, Would you mind telling us briefly what the new spending is for? I know you're getting there. Sure. There's um, 110 new positions. There's, um, you know, it's it's kind of, it's all over the map. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, okay. it's kind of spread over a lot of departments. All of right. course, in the police department, there are more positions. Um, there's new positions uh, in the CARES department which is going to be the new 911 responders uh, that are civilians that co-respond with police. So there's it's just a little bit here and a little bit there, but right. it adds up. And uh, and so the council now is going to have to figure out how to, you know, rebalance that and uh, and pay for those new positions or uh, or make some cuts to the mayor's budget. So it's turning out to be, you know, more of a, a real budget season than it usually than it was anticipated to be. Yeah. And just to add some context to this bill, I think it's important to point out that you have four incumbents who are not running again. You have another council member and council member Mosqueda, who looks like a pretty good shot at getting her county council seat that she's going for. So I look at that. You're basically looking at a council that's going to have a majority of new members coming up next year. So I've kind of come back to this question of who is this budget really for? Are these departing incumbents trying to lay some sort of legacy? Are they simply kicking the can down the road? I think there's a few different ways to look at that. But that new makeup of the council, there are a number of new fresh faces that are going to have to tackle this issue next year. And I think it's a big one in terms of these deficits. Okay. Yes, John. I'm going to say on the candidate side, you're hearing kind of the the two takes of like progressive revenue, 
Um, Brian mentioned like a capital gains tax potentially or other taxes. And then there's the audit, like basically audit crowd that is saying basically, you know, that's um, noting that the city council, the city tax revenue collection has increased at four times the rate of population growth over the last 10 years. So the but so the city is actually collecting a lot of taxes. It's just spending a lot more trying to do various things. Audit crowd, meaning we need to comb through this budget yeah. and, and right. They're 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 suggesting that there's there's fat to be trimmed, right? Sure, and and it's always easier when you're on the outside saying there's fat to be trimmed than um, than on the inside. And there's a constituency for every spend every piece of spending. Yep. Um, so uh, cutting is not easy. Um, and uh, but you know um, you know taxes also um, are are to have a cost too. Um, increases increases affordability problems. Um, it can you know slow growth that leads to jobs. I, yeah, and I think, you know, uh, on the spending side, I mean, the, you, you hear a lot of candidates, as Jonathan said, you know, saying, well, we just need to spend less. We don't have a we don't have a budget problem. We have a spending problem. Um, spending has increased, but spending doesn't track to the rate of population evenly. It tracks to things like inflation. Um, it tracks to construct, construction costs and it tracks to things like how much revenue you bring in from, you know, from from taxes that are, you know, th- that are on property on property that is increasing in value, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, I think it's a little bit disingenuous for the the audit crowd to say that we just need to spend less um, because things cost more now. And we have more money now because people's houses are much, much more, more valuable and, you know, and because we have a very wealthy population. But that doesn't force you to spend just because you're making more money from the... No, a lot of the new spending comes from, you know, stuff that was added during COVID that is now considered essential. Like, for example, we don't want to shove everybody back into uh, congregate shelters where they're, you know, sleeping uh, toe to to head. Um, We now sort of want to do these non-congregate shelters that are a little more humane that people are more likely to actually go to. Um, That's just one example. But, I mean, when you add a lot of spending and then uh, you say, whoops, all that money is going away, it's very hard to just say we're going to kill all those programs that we added during COVID. And importantly, too, there was a lot of federal dollars coming in during COVID, and those are essentially gone. That's what we're talking about at the city council level right now. So when you think about those dollars that really did help the city get through, those dollars are basically gone at this point, and the city has some big decisions ahead. I think the homelessness budget is going to be a huge part of this. We're going to hear about that from Councilmember Mosqueda, the budget chair, over the next couple of weeks. She's going to be talking about city contracts. She's going to be talking about food and housing, and then community and infrastructure uh, safety as well. That's going to be another piece of it. So uh, a lot ahead with this one. There's another uh, public hearing that's going on with the city council coming up on November uh, 13th if people want to get involved. Okay, and you say you haven't heard a $250 million magic wand from the uh, from the council candidates. Uh, before we, we leave budget and city council, is there anything from city council candidates that, uh, you know, you, you're following all these campaigns, anything we should know, any more observations to catch listeners up? Well, I think a lot of council candidates sort of on the other side of that equation are saying that we need to, you know, it's it's simple or, you know, maybe they're not all saying it's simple, but one simple solution is to increase the jumpstart tax or uh, just pass the capital gains tax or pass the CEO excess compensation tax. Um, I think that none of those uh, in isolation is going to come close to uh, meeting. I don't think all of them together probably will meet this $250 million gap. And so I think in the future, what's going to happen, particularly with Teresa Mosqueda gone next year, uh, most likely, um, is that they are going to look at Jumpstart as a source for ongoing revenues from the general fund. It's supposed to be dedicated to affordable housing, Green New Deal projects, equitable development. But I think that it gets rated year after year. And I think without an, a strong advocate in Teresa Mosqueda, they're going to look at that as a way to fill this gap, whether yep. or not these taxes pass. She was the prime architect of the Jumpstart yep. deal. And so this is something that she's been working on for many, many years. And you're right. I think if she's not there, there's just a, a number of different ways that the council has to look at this. And I'm, Is I'm the not- city riled up about that? Are, are, are residents who are about to vote, do they seem angry about the well, use of Jumpstart for things that the tax wasn't designed for? Some people brought that up in the public hearing. Go ahead, yeah. John. There, well, I mean, there was a um, poll recently that, you know, two-thirds of the city was, the city residents didn't feel like the city hall was going to spend their tax dollars responsibly. Um, and I think that when you get, that when there's a feeling of a bait and switch, like you say, we're going to put this tax into afford- affordable housing and other priorities, and then it just becomes a general uh, general fund um 
tax source. Uh, You can get feel like that's kind of cynical politics. And um, so there's already a level of, um, I think, distrust in the city about this. this, this, There's a reason why so many candidates are not running for reelection. Like it was very it's going to be a tough road for a lot of them. And um, so um, there's there is I think there's some skepticism. um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can we let's talk about the new drug law that I briefly mentioned that officially took effect this week today, actually holding or publicly using illegal drugs in Seattle. That's a gross misdemeanor. Now, KUOW reporter Amy Radel says that doesn't mean every drug user is going to jail. Mayor Bruce Harrell says that under the city's new drug law, police should refer drug users towards services whenever possible. Police are instructed to focus their enforcement on individuals who are using drugs in public and harming others. In most situations, Harrell's spokesperson says police will take the offender to a nearby precinct and introduce them to a case manager. A spokesperson for the city attorney's office says police do not plan to book anyone into jail on simple drug possession, only if there are additional charges. So, Erica, then who will be most affected by this new law? Drug users who want to quit? Residents who don't like looking at drug use? Who? I mean, I think this new law is has been oversold. Um, its impact is likely to be quite minimal, um, and that is because the city has not funded any additional diversion. It's for a couple reasons. One is that the city has not defunded any additional diversion uh, case managers. These folks that um, the mayor is talking about, we have the it funds the exact same number. So when you're talking about, there's a program called Lead that um, that does diversion, but they're just going to have to switch their strategy from diverting people from community referrals, which is what they do now to police referrals. So it's going to become a police referral agency. Um, so on that's that's on one end. And on the other end, um, of course, they're not going to book people into jail for simple possession. There are simply are no jail beds available. Um, the jail is very understaffed. It remains so. And um, and so on that end, you know, you're not going to see this sort of, you know, return to the drug war in that sense either. Um, so I, I just think this bill um, has been, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessary, but I also don't know that it's um, going to have a whole lot of impact one way or another for any of those people you mentioned. It turned it, it was politicized so quickly when the council engaged with it. And remember, this is something with regard to our state's drug law that it required a special session this year. This is something that went into overtime. And so the council, I guess, felt compelled to do the same thing and went into their own overtime and trying to suss this out and, you know, tacked on an extra 100 plus days in terms of making this this decision when it was before them in June. And I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying here, Erica. And, and, and the interesting thing to me is just watching how this drug law, which the state tried to set with this gross misdemeanor, how different cities around the state are going to handle it, because I think it really does depend on that city and what, and what resources they have or don't have. And I think about cities who do not have the resources that Seattle doesn't, uh, that Seattle has, and how are they going to enforce this themselves? So uh, yeah, this is exactly exactly what you're saying. I, I'm frustrated by seeing the lack of services that are involved. Are, are there ever going to be enough services? I don't know about that. I severely doubt that. But I do know <clears throat> in talking with a number of different service and treatment providers out there, they're concerned about this. And they're worried that this could turn into a situation where arrests are made first and that treatment promise is not exactly held up by the city. So I, I think that's a concern going forward. I should catch listeners up and just say this used to be a felony um, and that wasn't enforced in right. Seattle, and now it's a gross demeanor, misdemeanor that is theoretically enforced in Seattle, but as we're saying, not so much. Yeah, uh, I'm watching how this kind of plays out in the city council races, and uh, the um, you it feels to me like a litmus test kind of thing, where if you say you support that you support the law, you're kind of read as a certain type of kind of more of a centrist candidate, and if you didn't support the law. You're read as kind of a more a more progressive candidate. Um, I mean, it's kind of about you know. There's a, a crowd in Seattle that wants more accountability for um, people who are using drugs in public and probably also sleeping outside. Um, and so, I just think it's interesting the way that um, you can have can- two candidates that agree on most issues and then they disagree on one, and that becomes the wedge. Totally seeing it in District 7, and exactly what you're saying. It's with Bob Kettle, the challenger, saying, hey, Andrew Lewis, you should have made a decision on this back in June. Lewis saying, we needed the extra time to make this into a better law, that the police support, etc. So, Well, and Kettle not only said you should have made a decision, but had an ad that was very inflammatory in which Sarah Nelson, another council member, said that because of this 100 
whatever day delay. Five, he says. Yeah. Um, that uh, that countless people died uh, because of this the, this delay in the vote. Because it, that uh, presumably will no longer be dying. You know, under that equation, now that the vote has passed. So starting today. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's such a disingenuous and and you know really kind of offensive argument um, that the the fentanyl crisis is going to be solved by this because that is a false promise and and that you know not passing this law at the, at the city level because it's already a gross misdemeanor at the state level which means it's a gross misdemeanor here yep. um, that not passing this this particular law is killing people yeah I, like i said i think it feels more like virtue signal you know kind of political signaling oh, yeah. than right and your, your point about the jailed bookings is totally right it's going to have the jail it's not going to book people um you know and brian's point about how is this going to play out outside of Seattle? It's going to be far more interesting outside of Seattle mm-hmm. um, because there are many areas the state have very little uh, resources for treatment. And you have um, uh, probably a demand from people to really hold public drug use accountable. So uh, I would be looking like in the city of Lakewood or in Spokane or in Wenatchee. What is this? How is, how is this new law going to play out? Yeah. Let's go then from drugs to shootings, of which we had more this week. A fatal shooting at Golden Gardens Dog Park in Ballard, a shooting near a daycare in the Central District. More shots fired in the CD this morning, by the way. It looks like the city is going to buy a gunshot detection system. Is that the plan? It seems to me, um, and Brian, we might disagree on this, but it seems it. to me that the council is moving toward actually voting for this thing um, because two of the candidates, uh, two of the council members, excuse me, um, who are up for re-election, um, Andrew Lewis and Dan Strauss, have now s- signaled their support. Um, and so this is a this is something that uh, Mike McGinn wanted, I believe. I mean, going back way back, these are very yeah. old systems. It's an acoustic system that detects sounds that sound like they might be gunshots, and then it calls a person. A person listens to it. If it's if they say it's gunshots, um, then police rush to the scene. Um, and they're augmenting that, they say, with CCTV cameras, which somehow is going to make it uh, more likely that they'll detect violent crimes. And they've also talked about sex trafficking. So it's a little unclear about what they what they think they're going to use this for. But um, bottom line, I mean, these, these systems have been around for many, many years. There have been many studies done in Chicago and Houston. In Houston, there was a study uh, or a, that came out just uh, a couple months ago that found that not only did it not deter crimes, because the idea is that people are going to see this and be afraid to commit crimes in its presence, I guess. Um, not only did it not deter crimes, it actually slowed down response times to all other priority one, which are the most important critical calls, because police were constantly having to prioritize shot spotter calls and rushing off to those. So people with real emergencies, um, you know, in most cases, shot spotter was is a false alarm. Uh, well, why, not a fa- why a false alarm? It doesn't the technology is not there to know whether it's a gunshot or not. Well, th- there is no technology to know whether it's a gunshot. It's a person. And and it's it's not when I say false alarm, I don't mean that it necessarily wasn't gunfire, but people are often going to the scene of something that might have been gunfire. And it's long after the, the people who have actually been involved in it have left. You know, they're not they're not finding evidence of crimes. It's not it doesn't have evidentiary use. It doesn't have crime solving use. It doesn't have catching somebody in the moment um, usability for the most part. And so but somebody could be hurt or dying as opposed to other crime but that's, calls. But right? you're saying could be. And yeah, yeah. the evidence has shown that that is not the case. Okay. So um, it is I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's something that's that feels like doing something because you're putting a camera there. Right. It's on the corner. But. The other thing, and then I'll then I'll shut up <laughs> about this, but because I I went down quite a few rabbit holes on this over the years. Um, the other thing is, you know, the idea that surveillance cameras cameras they're saying, well, it's different now because we're going to marry surveillance cameras with these uh, acoustic locators. But there are surveillance cameras literally everywhere. I mean, if you get a police report, if you ask for you know all the evidence related to a crime, you're going to get surveillance camera from every angle. Um, so that's not deterring crime. So I don't know why one more surveillance camera is going to suddenly deter crime because it you know, has SPD on the side. I, I think the point you made earlier about it's a tangible thing that the city can say, hey, we invested in this. Here's something you're actually going to see, a physical thing you're going to see in the neighborhood that would somehow uh, deal with this gun violence problem. problem. I think that's that's the big, uh, maybe shiny piece of this that people are, are, are rallying around here. But I, I think that skepticism is definitely warranted, definitely the, the studies that you're talking about there. And then just recent history, I've been talking about this with David Croman from The Times who did a report about this. 
I thought it was really interesting over the past year or so. Uh, SPD has not been doing that great with some of the cameras that have uh, that are automated to make sure that we get parking tickets. And they didn't have people responding to or dealing with that technology in time to the to the point that uh, 100,000 of them actually expired and yielded no revenue in terms of these tickets that were out there. So I just have a few concerns about trying to marry this technology somehow with the Seattle Police Department in a way that's going to yield some results. Now, you did hear it in the public hearings. There were a number of people who said we don't need this program, but there are a number of people who said we did need it, including Reverend Harriet Walden from Mothers for Police Responsibility. She's saying there are people in the CD and and District 2 and the southeastern part of Seattle who are really calling for something like this. So, again, something that Mayor McGinn was talking about. Uh, Bruce Harrell, when he was a council member, has been talking about this for a long, long time. And we might be getting closer to the finish line with it. I just really wonder what kind of impact it's going to have. Going to Erica's point about the the kind of noise in the systems is adding sort of more noise. Um, We've already got a police department that can't respond to tier one calls it takes seven minutes on average to respond to tier one calls you know there's all the the department is um severely over oh, i don't know if overstretched or mismanaged research i'm not quite sure but <laughs> it's it's not working well the the, the public is very frustrated here but like harry waldman you hear like joy hollingsworth mm-hmm. and tanya Wu in the council races saying our communities are not safe um so um i i think Brian's point about the uh, that it's a physical thing, a tangible thing that you can point to and use it for like basically political messaging mm. is probably right. But whether it's and I, I agree with Erica, it's not going to it's not going to this isn't this magic. And I don't okay, think we, that there is unanimity in the community about this either. I think that um, certain voices are weaponized mm. um, by, you know, by some people on the council to say, look, uh, all the, you know, the, the, the black community in the central district supports this um, when that is not I mean, you cannot say a community is a monolith. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of that going on that I think is is really problematic and not helpful. Uh, Before we take a break, since we're on talking about policing, let's check in on the trial of three Tacoma police officers charged with killing a black man named Manuel Ellis. This week, four witnesses testified to what they saw or heard. This is Ayanna Malang, who said she was looking through her bedroom window and heard Ellis pleading with officers in between taser shocks. He was saying, please, sir, stop. Then the repeated, I I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Jonathan, what are the main things you learned this week from that trial? Yeah, I've had the pleasure of being the editor on uh, for Patrick Malone, who's done now years of work on this case. Uh, the... Uh, These eyewitnesses are extremely compelling, and they're very important because one of the big questions was what started this incident. There was video of the incident after it already started. It would show the officers responding violently to to Ellis. But the cops said that uh, that basically Manuel Ellis instigated the confrontation by trying to get into cars at an intersection and then then physically, like, attacking the officers. These four witnesses all had— basically the same story it, that that was that that's bs um that what actually happened was manuel was walking away from the police cruiser that pulled up next to him he was summoned back he appeared to be summoned back and then um one of the officers door checked him opened his passenger door knocked him down and boom it's on so the um that these witnesses have been um clear and uh and important testimony it's also been extremely hard to listen to the audio because you hear the absolute desperation of a, a man who sounds like he knows he's dying. Um, and the combination of those is, are really um, been really powerful testimony. Um, I think kind of pulling back the real big picture here is this is the most important um, police accountability uh, case. Um, I think we've, we've said, and it's a historic thing. We said in the last, last one was in 1932 mm. in Seattle. Um, it's the first real test of an expanded, uh, powers for prosecutors to uh, charge officers with on-duty deaths that lowered the, th- the threshold for those charges be possible an initiative I-940. And um, so if this case, um, and I'm not making a value judgment whether officers should be found guilty, but if the officers are not found guilty, I think that is going to be a, uh, a, a very strong signal to prosecutors around the state that even with his expanded powers, um, it's be very it's very difficult to hold officers accountable. 
Okay, we are we we are over time to take a break, and 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 because we haven't even heard the defense case yet, well, there's going to be so much more to say about this trial. So let's keep, uh, we'll keep we'll keep following it. Thank you for the update. It's week in review. We are taking a break now and coming back with uh, tolls and drones and Starbucks and more. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Support comes from Gather Pottery, hosting ceramicist Sarah Anderson, teaching a weekend sgraffito workshop for all levels, May 18th and 19th at Gather Pottery in Interbay. Learn more at gatherpottery.com. KUOW's Week in Review is online now. You can stream it at YouTube or Facebook. You will see me, I'm Bill Radke, and we've got Public Cola's Erica Barnett, the Seattle Times' Jonathan Martin, Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan, catching you up on the week just gone by. And we began the show talking about Seattle taxpayers. How about toll payers, Brian? The state's express toll lanes on 405 and Highway 167. Drivers complain when they cost Ten dollars. How's about twelve or fifteen or eighteen? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be in between twelve and fifteen. And some great reporting by Mike Lindblom in the Times about this. But this is something where the state really has to deliver on its promise of saying, "Okay, we're going to increase the speed for people who are using these lanes here." And the lever they have to do that is raising these prices. Now, when's this going to happen? This is something they're going to discuss over the next year or so. There's going to be some public outreach over this. But I think there's just a larger issue, and you're, you're kind of alluding to it here. Does this turn into a Lexus Lane type of a thing where people who have more are able to have the right to get through traffic? You know, it's, it's one of those base issues where I think this is talked a lot about on the East Coast, where they've been using tolls for many, many years on many, many different roads, and it's just kind of part of the fabric of the community. It's relatively new here on the West Coast and certainly in Washington. State, So that's why I think there's some more attention to this. But I got to say, some of these tolls are not as big as some of the roads uh, on the East Coast. So will people pay them? I, I, it's, it's what the market will bear. And that's, a, that's sometimes a difficult discussion to have. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think they are already Lexus lanes. If that's you know, uh, if that's our sort of measurement, I mean, ten dollars is more than a lot of people can afford, um, you know, on an everyday basis, certainly. Um, but you know, I think this is exactly what the plan was. I mean, from the very beginning, like it, it is supposed to be a lane where you can go faster and buy your way in to bypass everybody else. And if you don't charge more, then it's going to become the same as all the other lanes, thus losing its value as a hot lane, completely a a high occupancy toll lane. The speeds have slowed down. Mm -hmm. The speeds have slowed down and they have to be above 45 miles an hour, 90% of the time by law. So, um, or by policy. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, you're buying your way into a skip lane. Now, my question is, you know, are are there other alternatives? You know, I mean, it would make more sense perhaps to have dedicated bus lanes um, than to have, you know, this this situation where everybody assumes that they're going to be able to drive across both these bridges or on both these roads, rather, um, and uh, and always be able to go quickly. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's just not going to be possible forever to do that. And one of the one of the arguments for needing to charge more is that is not just that it's going too slow, but that they're uh, they need more money than anticipated to widen I-405 and to widen 167. And I would just point out that uh, roads always fill up. It's a well-known, well-documented principle called induced demand. And, you know, what's going to happen? They build another lane and that lane is going to be full. So um, I, I, and then you're going to pay to get out of it. And yeah. then you're going to, yeah, maybe we'll have like a <laughs> two-tiered a lane yeah. system. I mean, it's, you know, it's not great <laughs> for anybody. Well, I think that the hot lanes were actually created for the buses. So you could have the buses have a, have a, have a faster way through. And there was a little bit of a, you know, sort of a bargain here that you could also, you have buses and also buy your way in. Um, you know, I, I go into Brian's point about the East Coast tolls, like, I mean, this just we already fund our transportation system with regressive taxes. Uh, gas taxes are regressive. The um, vehicle licensing fees are regressive. And I, I for, a, for a system that is should be um, equitable and open for all level playing field, um, having this the regressivity 
um, get worse, get magnified with Lexus lanes, just just feels icky. It yeah. just <laughs> it just feels like you know bad public policy. I, I guess just the backstory here in terms of why this is happening. This is a situation where the state needs more dollars. Its gas tax revenue has been falling. You look at some of these big projects like uh, covering up five twenty as they're talking about. Hey, there's going to cost eight hundred million. They get in the bids a couple of months ago. Actually, it's going to be uh, $1.3 I mean, these costs are going up for the state. They're seeing their revenues drop in terms of gas taxes, and they're saying, okay, this is about the only thing that makes sense. I'm not condoning it, but I think this is the line of reasoning. This is the thing that makes sense. People who use this should be paying for it. And so when you talk about those added costs they're talking about, and when you talk about you know what these lanes were meant to do, I, I guess that's the rationale going forward, but well, it's not comfortable. The, I mean, <laughs> the legislature is swimming in money. I mean, they they just added uh, the capital gains tax, mm-hmm. but the state budget has been it's just been ballooning, mm-hmm. and so to say the legislature that the state doesn't have money to avoid another regressive tax, um, uh, but um, and also uh, every time I hear people and let Democrats in Olympia say you know decrying the de- the prog- regressive tax system and then authorizing this kind of thing, I just you know kind of. Um, <laughs> have some questions. Yes, have like. some questions. Yeah, I go. do think, I mean, I do think that one decision they could make is to stop widening roads. I mean, I'm from Houston, uh, land of the, you know, 24 lane Katy Freeway, um, or it might be up to more than that by now. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't fix traffic. Traffic is still bad. Uh, so they could make a decision that, you know, maybe we don't need to spend this money. I mean, talk about a spending problem. Uh, and save them however many billion. I think it just went up $4 billion. So uh, don't do the whole project. Mm. It's just going to get clogged up anyway. All right. Well, where this stands is that commissioners voted to seek public comment. So you have a say in this, listener. There's going to be a vote in January on raising tolls in February or March. And there, the, the prices could increase to as much as $15 by next spring. And they could go to $18 by the year 2025 if that is approved. That's it's it's big bucks for sure and I uh it's something that I know the public's going to weigh in on and I I hope they let let the commissioners know this is something that's going to impact a lot of people. Well, if paying tolls is raising your blood pressure, <laughs> What if your blood pressure medication just dropped out of the sky? Ooh, there we go. This week, Amazon announced it's doing same-day prescription drug delivery in Seattle. And in Texas, they deliver meds via drones. And, Brian, these are not the first delivery drones. Indeed. There was a drone program that started in 2016. Domino's Pizza actually delivered a pizza in New Zealand, uh, the... The research I have done on this indicates it was a chicken cranberry pizza, which is Mm. absolutely disgusting. Mm. New Zealand, (laughs) you need to do better with that. But it's one of these things where I think by the year 2019, again, some of the research I've seen on this, we had about 9,000 of these drones actually out and delivering. It looks like next year that's going to go up to about 110,000 drone deliveries. So it's UPS. We're talking about Amazon. We're talking about Domino's. A number of these companies are jumping on board with this. And I can see... Erica boring some holes in the back of my head on the not your head. Yeah, she's not a fan. <laughs> not your head. Yeah, I mean, I um, you know, I think that this is a, a labor story. This is uh, Amazon. I mean, you have to ask like, a, do we need this? The answer is no. Um, but B, why? Well, wait a minute. If, if someone needs their prescription medicine, medicine, and they need it soon. Right? Well, I, I think that, you know, back in back in the old olden Here times, she goes. Okay. back in olden times, you could uh, get the prescription, you know, at the pharmacy next to your doctor's office. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't, uh, you know, decry the you know convenience of getting stuff by mail or, you know, I've certainly ordered prescriptions by mail myself. Um, and usually they come from DoorDash, another company that has a lot of labor issues. But um, but. For for drones, uh, w- w- when a company institutes robotic roboticization, I think I'm saying that right. Um, like drones, you have to ask well, why are they doing this? And they're doing it because they think it will save them money, at least eventually, uh, by cutting labor. And Amazon did the same thing with putting robots in its distribution centers. I think eventually they want to have all robots and no humans in those centers. Um, I think that the goal is just to reduce human workers. 
And I mean, the just walk out uh, places like at Climate Pledge Arena, um, you know, also reduce the number of human workers. So I think it's I think it's a labor story. And I think we should really, you know, if we have a concern for the economy, for people, you know, being able to get jobs that don't require, you know, college degrees and that, uh, you know, that are going away, you know, we need to ask ourselves every single time a new technology like this comes out. Why are they doing this and who does it impact? And, you know, I mean, same thing with, you know, grocery self-checkout lines. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can name any number of examples that have been labor-reducing devices by big corporations. But the way to shore up your economy is to stand against the tide of technology. I don't think the tech. I don't think I mean, the technology know, is a tide. If, pub- if Publicola reporters would just copy your stories out manually, right. think of the there number so of many, workers. There are that so many. I could, I could AI. I could just get AI to write all my stories. I mean, there <laughs> is. Bill, your voice is out there a lot. We could probably get a pretty good AI. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say. I mean, I, I don't know if you're I mean, aware yeah, of this. When, Eric, when they come yeah. for our jobs we care right but when it's just the lowly grocery worker yeah I, erica but i think the point is uh, i don't know if you knew this but bill is a cyborg and so he's got kind of a soft spot for this story i think True. I, yeah. I, I, th- I i i appreciate what erica's saying the, the you know i think 15 percent of the male male workforce is in is in transportation yeah um and there's been that's been the big issue with like the driverless trucks the freight trucks because um, long-haul truck driving is a really good profession for 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 guys um, but I think Bill's right. I, mean, I, I there it is. It, I think it is a tie. I think this the the the, the push to um, have industrialize um, our economy is um, is inevitable. Um, I, I actually wouldn't. I wonder what kind of um, climate benefits there might be to a drone de- delivery versus a truck de- delivery. Um, so. I think there are always downsides even on things like that. I mean, even if you're just looking at the technology itself. But I also, I mean, I don't, to my point about, I mean, I want to elaborate. I don't think technology is a tide. I think you can actually say, you know what, AI should not replace journalists and we're not going to allow that. You know what, drones should not be allowed, you know, in the airspace over Seattle. And we're going to pass a law that doesn't allow that because we are a town that believes in in labor and we want to protect jobs. I mean, it is not a tide. The only thing that makes it a tide is if you just deregulate everything and say we are powerless to resist these giant companies. I don't think you're saying that the only reason journalism should not be replaced by AI is to save human jobs. Well, I think it's also a quality issue, sure. But I and I also think that delivering a pizza by dropping it 13 feet onto your house is probably a quality issue as well. The chicken and cherries could get all jumbled up. <laughs> so gross. I, I, I don't know, Eric. I think you're more optimistic about about legislation and uh, Oh, I'm not and, optimistic. Yeah. I, I think it's coming, but I, I think, I think it can be resisted. Yeah. All right. Well, when, when we talk Amazon, uh, we do note that Amazon is among KOW's financial supporters. And the fact that I got no money for covering this story is just, you know. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a, it's a real crime. Um, okay, let's take a break again. Come back, and we'll, we'll 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 run through some more stories that we haven't gotten a chance to mention yet, but maybe happened this week while you were busy uh, having another life. We are going to take a break and come right back on KUOW's Week in Review. Your chicken and cranberry pizza is on the way, though. <laughs> Excellent. This is KUOW's Week in Review, and you are with a panel of local journalists. Not artificial intelligence, not yet. We've got Real Seattle Times Investigations Editor Jonathan Martin, Publicola co-founder and publisher Erica Barnett, Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan. I'm Bill Radke. We're on the radio, and we're streaming at YouTube and Facebook, where you search KUOW Public Radio. You'll find us there. So on Week in Review, we have gone in-depth on a few issues. We've talked Seattle budget, elections, drug law, policing, highway tolls, drugs from drones— In case you've been busy this week, I want to more quickly run through some more events of the week gone by that you might have missed. The earthquake drill went off at 3 a.m. on Thursday morning. You hadn't heard that. I slept right through it. Yeah, me me too. too. Me too. This is the shake alert. It was set to buzz your phone at 1019 Pacific time, but it went off at 1019 Greenwich Mean Time, which is now called Coordinated Universal Time. Right, right. I'm I'm glad I slept through that one. That would have been a little early. Yeah. Drop cover and snooze. Um, I don't know whether this should be a news story anymore. Uh, Amanda Knox said she's glad to be on trial again in Italy. She is the West Seattleite who was arrested for the murder of her roommate in Italy, eventually found not guilty, uh, but guilty of slander 
uh, for allegedly implicating somebody else in the killing, and she's trying to get that overturned. And I, I don't know. She might be wishing, although she said, hey, this is good news. That I, um, She wants a chance to, for vindication. She wants vindication. Yeah. I just don't know whether she wants to be a news story forever attached to this. You know, she's pivoted killing, but, after this happened. She's pivoted into becoming um, a pretty effective advocate for innocence cases. The same true. way Monica Lewinsky became um, a advocate for bullying. Right. Against anti anti bully, right? Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I yeah I actually covered the um, that case as a reporter. Yeah. Um, I got to know Amanda a little bit, and um, you know I there the, she she accused um, um, Mumbo of uh, of uh, she, the reason why she's that bar, is the like, bar owner. Yeah, the bar owner because she was being uh, beaten. Like they were they were the cops were uh, beated a confession out of her, and so you don't mean physically. Yeah. Yeah. Phys- yeah. Oh. Um, I and I mean, it was, it, that was part of the, that was part of the whole, the whole peel. Anyway, okay. um, Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Pike Brewing is leaving Pike Street. At least the actual brewing is going. They've been making beer next to the market for 30, I thought it was longer, sure 30 years. Like it doesn't yeah. seem like much, but they're going to keep their pub open and move the brewery part to Soto. Um, let's see. Don't stop conserving water, says Seattle Public Utilities. We have gotten some more rain, but it's not enough. Mountain reservoirs are still not full enough. We are using less water. We were at 150 million gallons a day a month or so ago. 150. The goal is 100 million. And earlier this week, we were down to 109 million gallons. Mm. So not bad. If we all stopped drinking water and started drinking beer... <laughs> that had already been bottled. That's good. That's a good solution, right there. Yeah, right. You got Lacroix. See, you're drinking water uh, in you know ship from wherever. Can we can we ship water around? Can we buy water Doesn't from places? Doesn't it come from with, the Midwest? Uh, see, okay, so maybe the Midwest. I don't know if the Midwest has too much water right now. I haven't followed, but some parts of the country right get deluged, and some parts dry out. And Scotland, that's the big one. They're on red alert right now. Is that right? Biggest storm they've had in decades. Oh, really? and, yeah. yeah, and Germany like, and Denmark, too. Moving people uh, those out. Those photos are incredible. Yeah, not good. Oh. So, uh. Well, unfortunately, the drones can only carry so much water, so <laughs> this that's is true. not going to be the answer. <laughs> right. Um, I found this, this interesting. Starbucks sued a union that represents some of its employees, a union called Starbucks Workers United, because somebody posted a solidarity with Palestine message on a union social media account. The post was only up for 40 minutes, but Starbucks says hundreds of customers thought it came from the company. They vented at employees that vandals spray-painted Stars of David and a swastika on the windows of one Starbucks. A Florida Republican senator tweeted, if you go to Starbucks, you're supporting killing Jews. And the company said its reputation was damaged. They are suing for trademark infringement to try to stop the union from using the company's name. And the union sued back, saying that the workers, some worker put up the tweet without the authorization of union leaders. They say Starbucks has defamed them by implying that the union supports terrorism and violence, they're asking a federal court to rule that they can use the name Starbucks Workers United and they can keep their circular green logo that is somewhat similar to the Starbucks logo. I've never heard of something quite like this. I mean, I think I think when you strip away all of the content, um, what it comes down to is a battle between the union and Starbucks over... I mean, I guess, uh, you know, maybe the use of the name, maybe the use of the green logo, but it also, you know, cynically, it could also be a ploy by Starbucks to, you know, try to waste the union's money by mm-hmm. suing them over this because they've never sued them over it before. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I find it, you know, not very credible that's a post that was up on Twitter X for 40 minutes by a non-verified account, which I don't know if you've, you know, followed the machinations at Twitter, but those don't get a lot of play anymore. My, my account certainly doesn't. Um, and but uh, just on the 40 minutes, there's some, I don't know what the numbers are of, of retweets and replies. Sure. There's, sure. there's some findable, number, but, but yeah. the, but the, but I mean, even, even saying hundreds, what does that mean? Does that mean that there were hundreds of annoyed people responding in the comments? I mean, mm, and, and right. the, the sort of the specific things that you're talking about, swastikas, but also, you know, 
you you so you you hate Israel, you love Israel. Like it, it's just mixed messages that just seem like they're probably not related. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think this just kind of comes down to this is a way for the union and uh, and Starbucks to go at each other. And and it just brings to mind for me just a, a distraction really from what what's happening in the Middle East and and the work that needs to do to try to bring some sort of level of peace there. I don't know when that's going to happen. I know that's been a centuries long debate, but when we put it in this kind of context, it just I don't know. It, it, it feels like more of a distraction to me than anything else. And uh, I guess that saddens me a little bit. I'd like to focus on what's actually happening and what President Biden is asking for today with some extra dollars heading to Israel and some other countries as well in terms of uh, fights against uh, hostility. But I, yeah, I, that was the part that really gut punched me on this one. It's like, why are we talking about this when there are clearly some bigger issues to, to talk about at the root of it? I have a general pet peeve that I don't really care what a corporation thinks about a um, about news events. Yeah, I, I wish like, we had a less corporate speech. Um, you know, there's certainly a, a obvious exam, uh, obvious counterfactuals there. I think, you know, I think like Nike endorsing the um, Black Lives Matter movement um, in in the middle of the, the racial justice protests. Obviously, there's a role there. Um, but um, in general, like I don't, I, I th- this this is such an enormously complex and saddening and worrying development of news. Like I just like I don't want I don't need to know what a union thinks about it. I don't need to know what uh, you know a, or Starbucks thinks about it. Um, so yeah. anyway, and, I, and I didn't until uh, reading this story because I am not really on Twitter anymore because of the you know insane toxicity there, especially oh, yeah. in the last couple of weeks yeah, and just yeah. the amount of disinformation. Of it. Yeah, you use the word distraction, Brian, and I and I think of it as an yet another. It seems like the last few weeks we keep talking about a, an oversimplification where you make a statement mm-hmm. supporting somebody, and even if you did go on to put that in context, which which often we don't, then just that the, then then a snippet will be taken out of context, and the idea that you're either you say this, then that means you want the, you know, you're evil for this reason. And if you say that and you don't say that, you're evil for it, for an opposite reason. Yeah. Uh, thank you, social media. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's just in terms of that avenue I it, and actually coming to, uh, you know, and actually finding some answers from it. I just, I just don't think that's the path. And and if you want to read more about what's going on and, and what people's opinion on about our opinions are about Israel and Palestine, jump on Twitter X because there's a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with what Starbucks is talking about here, where people are talking about it all the time. Is it healthy? I would say no. There's a lot of toxicity there. You're absolutely right, Erica. But this is what we this is what we gained with different platforms like that, and uh, it's not always a healthy thing. We'll talk about technology not being inevitable. Um, Twitter. <laughs> is something that we all thought was going was you know an inevitable and endless you know is always going to be part of our lives and now um, or at least I thought some version of it would be and now it's becoming incre- increasingly useless. Didn't they speaking of of laying off people you know t- people technology over humans? Didn't Twitter lay off a ton of people and they're still they ain't dead yet? Yeah, seventy five percent of its yeah. workforce, I think. Oh. Uh, okay, so those are some of the some of the other um, uh, uh, stories that you might have missed this week, and we always end on a reason to smile. I know Twitter toxicity, maybe that makes you uh, a, a smile, but if not, we have some other humble offerings. For example, I enjoyed hearing that King County is going to heat buildings with wastewater. KUOW's Natalie Newcomb told us the water in the sewage system is about 65 degrees. This new pilot program will allow buildings to tap into the county's sewage water, then transfer the heat to the clean water, which will heat the building. There is no cross-contamination between the sewage and the water in the building, so it will not smell. Now, there might be some controversy I don't know about. Maybe some people think this will cost too much or or they're lying and it actually is going to smell. I don't know. But I, as someone who hates waste, except this <laughs> kind right. of waste, I like not wasting waste. Yeah. You see, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And one of the participating companies says they expect to reduce 99% of their emissions with this technology. These are five large buildings in South Lake Union along Dexter and Mercer. Uh, in 2025. I thought that was smile words. Awesome. Yeah, fire up some jacuzzis with that. You know, let's take a next level. That, that sounds great. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a tough sell. Tough, tough sell. sell. <laughs> I don't know. Anyone yeah. else uh, can give the listener something uh, that they can smile with into the weekend? 
I, I, I always look for those really uh, random holidays that happen during the year, and okay. I was delighted to find that today was International Sloth Day, so the, the three-toed uh, creature we're talking about. But it, it's also just easily uh, my favorite deadly sin out there of, of the seven. So uh, here's to sloth. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> here's to laying back and letting the drones do the work? Yeah, whatever, whatever we got to do. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Eric. I, I, uh, <laughs> I am very happy uh, that Britney Spears' book is out now. Will I read? Wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so Britney Spears, of course, was under a conservatorship uh, for 13 years um, under the control of her father, largely, um, and um, kind of couldn't live her own life, couldn't control her own finances, couldn't pick her own boyfriends. Uh, she got a memoir called, uh, the name of which I am forgetting, uh, Somebody Look It Up. Woman. Hang the on. Woman in Me. Woman in Me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and she tells her story. There's been some uh, interesting leaks about Justin Timberlake this week uh, from the book. Uh, she, yeah. Which she had you know if you read as many she... gossip sites as I do. Okay. Now, will I read this book right away? Absolutely not. Um, I found Jessica Simpson's memoir, which was also juicy and good, in a little free library. And I read it. It was great. So mm-hmm. maybe Britney Spears' memoir will find its way to me that way. Hmm. But um, but I'm glad it's out, and I'm glad she's getting to tell her story. Okay. Good. Jonathan. I didn't expect that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Jonathan's well, a big Britney Spears. Yeah. Fan, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with a sports ball uh, uh, chatter. Um, my I, One of my favorite, f- funnest days I've had in forever was watching the <laughs> UW play Oregon last weekend. Oh, if yeah. anybody's a sports fan, it was like an, incred- just an instant classic. It's like, yes. it was a, it was gorgeous day it was a fun time it was just a reminder that after all the bleakness of like the pack 12 this year has been a absolute dumpster fire but it was a great day awesome. great day to be a husky anyway great yeah. day to be a husky yeah. right. <laughs> yes right. okay um now let's say you are uh you you're a husky and you love a duck or or something else we're doing a I'm trying to make a tortured segue here, so let me just stop uh-huh. that down and just tell you what I want to tell you, which is that uh, KUOW is getting into the political divides in our country. We're, we're mm-hmm. working on these. We, we discuss them every week. Let's face it. They come up all the time. And if you are concerned about political division, want to be a little part of the solution, we're inviting you to take a part in something called One Small Step from StoryCorps. You may know StoryCorps. You, your folks talking back and forth and, and telling their stories on uh, on NPR and KUOW. This program, One Small Step, is pairing strangers who have different political views. They have a conversation not about politics, but about your lives. And it's a way of bringing community together, one conversation at a time. So you can participate. You can find out more about it. Sign up for it if you go to KUOW.org slash story. That's KUOW.org slash story. And that's it for Week in Review. Love it. Thanks for coming. Oh, I, I think I hear Brittany. <laughs> Hit me, baby. Just only one word. We don't have time for more than one more time. <laughs> we got to go. The Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan there. Publicola co-founder and publisher Erica Barnett. Seattle Times Investigations editor Jonathan Martin. We do this show every week, and whoops, we did it again. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. Weekend Reviews produced by Kevin Kadistet, social media live streaming by Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Tio Popescu. Bernard Willett runs the board. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.